Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of the congregation of rock and roll, you are listening to Motorhead Monthly, the only Motorhead podcast on the internet. And on this very special episode, we are joined by a very special guest. We had a sit-down interview with the one and only, the Mango Kid himself, Danko motherfucking Jones, before his gig in Manchester in 2018. Mr. Jones was very gracious to sit down and talk all things Motorhead with us. How we found Motorhead, what it was like touring with Motorhead, some great stories, some great facts. All that and more on this very special episode. I would like to thank Dako Jones once again for sitting down and talking with us. And I would like to suggest to you, the listeners, to go out and get your hands on the new album Wildcat. Available where all good albums are, you know, purchased online these days, I suppose. But you can get it in record shops if you're still lucky to have one of those. And I would also say, hey, go back and check out the discography, man. I mean, my personal favorites, Never Too Loud, We Set Blood, uh, Below the Belts, you know, Full of Regrets, the song on there that, that Lemmy himself appears in the video for. So, you know, Lemmy was a fan of this band and it shows. Lemmy was a fan of this band and Danko was a fan of Lemmy and it shows. And this really, really good sit down talk with the man himself, Danko Jones. So we started yeah. reaching out to people. Okay. You're the first person we got to, and you actually All came right. back to us. Wow, so. I'm the first. I, I don't know why I end up being the first on a few podcasts. Oh, That's you're just funny. that great a guy that you're willing to accept <laughs> these things. Sure. So I guess we should start at the beginning then. Um, earliest Motorhead memory? Well, the very earliest Motorhead memory was like seeing some guy at the Toronto CNE, which is like a like a fairground place okay. where there's roller coasters and in games and stuff and he was wearing a motorhead hat i believe and that was uh he, he was the scariest looking guy i've ever seen was he like a connie and, or just like some dude? no no just some guy and um the thing about motorhead that struck me was uh it was always just black and white whereas all the like glam bands and uh you know hard rock acts employed more colors to yeah. their logos and to their imagery yeah. whereas Motorhead really stuck to black and white, and back then, it really made them stand out, and it was a little dangerous. They did have a lot of the, the DIY sort of punk ethic in, in that respect, where it is just black and white, because that was... But this is before I even yeah. was aware of any sort of punk rock or heavy metal stylings. I just knew like hard rock bands always employed color, a lot of color, yeah. especially coming from Kiss. And then seeing that Motorhead never did that. Motley Crue did it. Rat did it. Uh, Kiss did it. All those 80s glam bands really um, used a lot of neon and a lot of color. Whereas Motorhead never did that. You know, it's weird because like, the last person we were talking to, we got talking about how like you can buy the Motorhead t-shirts in just shops now. And like, the conclusion we came to was like, it's worth it as long as one person sees that Snaggletooth logo at some point in the life and goes... That shit's cool. What's that about? So that's kind of what's happened there as well. Like the, the gate. It's like the gateway to what was the first Motorhead album you got? Um, nineteen sixteen, I believe. The first Motorhead album was nineteen sixteen. Yeah. That's a, a break from pace from the rest of the stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was the first one. We're coming but... up to that album shortly. I think. I think we're on rock and roll at the minute, so it's just interesting to see especially at this period as well, where you've got quite a few lineup changes and a bit of sort of instability, like how the albums actually pan out at the end. Well, you have to understand that I, I grew up in Canada. And so uh, my first awareness of Motorhead was actually through, um, when I actually saw them was through the 
UK show, I think it's called Rock School. Oh, right. <laughs> and so they had a heavy metal episode. And so most of it was, was Motorhead. And then I would hear songs like Iron Fist and Ace of Spades on late night radio. But I'm going to assume that over here, because this is where they're from, um, Motorhead were a little more accessible than they were in Canada. So in, in Canada, you can only find them on late night shows, if that. So it was harder for me to kind of get into it. And when I got into hard music, Motorhead wasn't the first hard rock band I got into. It was Kiss. And so you kind of have to figure out things. And I knew all the popular songs by Motorhead. But uh, in terms of buying an album, I think it was 1916. Because when, you know, I don't know why, but Wurzel and Phil joining Motorhead... I think they kind of, I think they were trying to like kind of keep up with the times and they had all these sexy girls in their video <laughs> that got airplay. So that's what, and plus I didn't have any money to buy any record yeah. when I was a kid. So when I started to get money to buy cassettes, cause that's what I used to buy when I was a kid was 1916. Wow. That was from 1990 or 91, I think. About that, yeah. yeah. That's to say, we're, we're in the chronology. We're coming up to there at the minute. It's so. definitely the area of what you're saying of we need to start marketing better. So it's more about getting the, the hot girls. Well, that's, that's, well, it worked. It worked on me. Like, I, you know, <laughs> up, up till then, there were no videos really that were, that were played because motorhead videos were competing with you know million dollar motley crew videos yeah. and and up till that point i think um i mean there was eat the rich that was a video that got played before 1916 mm -hmm. came out so i, I love that song so there was these songs that i liked by motorhead and then plus the rock school episode which i watched probably three dozen times because i wanted to play guitar and then i'd hear i'd hear motorhead on the, all the late night metal tinged shows on the radio that i would you know have to stay up on a week on a school night to listen to so i'm gonna assume that in the uk motorhead were a little bit more in everybody's faces than yeah than especially that. because the fact they were always touring as well it's, yeah exactly so you know that's where i'm coming from so it, it was you know i could sit here and go yeah man they're, they're my first bit and they were not no, yeah. at all so i had to like like everybody does with a lot of bands is you kind of kind of backtrack and you got to figure out sometimes you get into a band and they're not really the band that is the leader of the scene, but they were the first band you discover. So you have some sort of um, soft spot for them yeah. after you figure out the scene. Um, I have a few of those bands where I'm always like, they, you know, some band gets brought up. I'm like, they rule. And everybody looks at me going, why do you like them? Well, it just so happened that I bought a record when I had five bucks and I, it was the only thing I had to listen to for a whole year. And so I eventually ended up knowing the album. Things like that happen. Now with the digital age, you can get any album you want at your fingertips. But back then, you saved up 10 bucks, you went down to the record store and you didn't know what you were buying because you couldn't sample it. But you took a chance due to magazines and the cover itself. And so... It was a, I ended up buying records that I would never 
have bought had I been able to yeah. sample it first. But because you find I only so much had different things, don't you? Sorry, you find so much different things by doing the. Well, I mean, it was always metal and hard yeah. rock. So, uh, you know, there's there's bands that I I love. Like I loved. Well, I'm not going to even mention it. It's too, it's it's too off topic. But you can get off topic. We don't mind. Well, I mean, I I would buy like uh you know to hell with the devil by Striper. I bought it's an amazing album and I would never have bought it had I been able to sample it or hear it or even understand its context. But I don't know. I, I, I love the album. I found that in a charity shop like two years ago and bought it just because the size of the hair and knowing what they were about I was like, I should probably listen to this. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty good album. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I bought it when it was out. So there's all, you know, you, you take a chance. And then slowly and slowly you start to figure out the scene. This is when you're getting into the scene. You don't really know the history behind it. I thought Motorhead was a contemporary of, of Motley Crue. I had no idea of their history. I had no idea of Lemmy's history. I didn't know who Lemmy was. I just knew he was that that like really cool looking, scary looking dude in that band. I didn't know he was like Lemmy, like a one word entity, <laughs> you know, icon. So, and I, I believe his iconic status came afterwards after that as well he was just another kind of you know like a Nikki six or a, or a david lee roth or an ozzy osbourne but now in 2018 i think he's kind of stepped out and branched off into his <laughs> he's in a different stratosphere now it's like a religious figure almost yeah yeah which is i find to be a little odd uh especially since i i i, I shy away from all that kind of worship. And that's another thing is I don't worship the guy. Mm. I admire him. Yeah. He was definitely somebody we looked to and um, influenced us, mm -hmm. you know, musically and even beyond that, um, stylistically. So that can't be denied. But I mean, I, the whole Lemmy Lem is God thing kind of rubs me the wrong way. Not because I don't think he's important. I just putting the word God in anything. There's is, a certain level of danger to hero worship, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely the man. Yeah. But, but yeah. For me, it's like the consistency as well. Like, cause every time, like it's usually November when Motorhead would have toured the UK. So every November he knew that was coming around. It didn't matter if they had an album out that year or anything. It was, we were, we're going it's as simple as it. yeah it's, it's we, the place to be and then in canada we got it like you know whenever we could get them you know <laughs> so it's a it's a lot different you know my experience with motorhead than i, I believe than you guys yeah. so did you have like any you know quote unquote contemporaries like friends that were into the same thing that you could show motorhead to no no, I went own? to I went to an all boys Catholic school and nobody liked or knew or I was a weirdo. And when I got into punk in the middle of high school, people didn't understand it either. And there's yeah, there's people that <laughs> I recently went to a reunion three years ago. I'm not gonna out him, but there's a guy and he always had this jacket with this band, and I'm not gonna say the band because then anybody who hears it'll know who I'm talking about. But I went up to him and I said, Hey, this is at the reunion. I said, Hey man actually know the guys in the band now like i i like i wanted to tell him because he wore that jacket it was the <laughs> coolest thing it was so cool and then he told me oh actually i, I didn't really know that band i got 
there was a this this guy he wanted to practice his graphic illustration, so he I gave him my jacket and he just he just illustrated that thing on the leather jacket and I I was a little oh my god, like really just came crashing down. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. This isn't really how it's <laughs> so he was the only one really in the school that I thought was kind of we were on the same wavelength and it, you know, he anyways, I'm not gonna get into it, but my point is um, no, I went to a school where nobody, and I was so into this stuff. It's all I mm. breathed. I didn't give a shit about school, really. I just wanted to run away and join the circus and 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 go with these guys and bands who who trollop through town and then leave the next day. I wanted to go because I had such a great time at the show. They're gonna do this every night forever. <laughs> yeah. Like this is amazing. So that's what I ended. I wanted to do, and I, you know, you 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 kind of do what you need to do to you know, please your parents or, or fool yourself. Mm -hmm. So I was in film school for five years and then this got in the way and I said, screw it. So I never finished my degree. So, um, you know, I, I, this was just calling so hard from, from the time I was in grade school to, to the time I, I didn't complete university. So it was calling all the time. It just, you know, and, and now I'm doing it. So it's, it's great. But I think what led to it was the fact that I was the only one who liked it. I, and I didn't have any contemporaries right. around me to, to share in it. I would drag friends to shows because I didn't want to feel lonely for a whole night as I watched all these bands. But I was just there to watch the bands. I, I could give a shit once the show started who was next to me. I really just focused on the band. But, you know, you'd drag them there. And, and I remember I'd always go into the pit. Uh, these, this is like in the these are like '80s thrash shows where there's, uh, anyways, they would be sitting and I'd be like, I'll be back, and I'd go into the pit. <laughs> I, I would do the whole thing myself. I'd really be by myself for the whole show, and then they would, they would, you know, they wouldn't. You know, I dragged them there. They just didn't have anything didn't to do. No. So, so that's what it, that was. How I, you know, how I, and then eventually you you get older and you find like-minded people and. Yep all those strange people and the faces that were at all the shows I've, you know, you eventually kind of know each other or even to this day, I kind of know you on Facebook. Oh, I remember that face at shows and stuff. And so that, that ends up happening as well. And, and it's funny how, yeah, it takes about 20 years to say hi to someone <laughs> you've been going to shows for 20 years and you yeah. finally see someone. So when like, you start being in the band, like, are there other people on the scene that you connect with by like a love of Motorhead? I think Motorhead is um, uh, kind of um, the foundation for for everyone. I, I, I think even if you aren't, they've somehow managed to cross even hard rock lines and you know you know music they're generally respected yeah in in other genres uh even you know pop or whatever they will adhere to something and and motorhead don't come with any sort of snicker that usually accompanies a lot of hard rock bands mentioned you know yeah. like someone will go oh i liked rat <laughs> you know but motorhead never have that accompanying yeah. so that's something that's earned and and yeah, I don't know. I, you, you, maybe you can name it on one hand. The amount of hard rock bands that have that distinction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's hard for for bands yeah. to do. Like Lizzie, maybe you know, like those kinds of bands where, you know, they have some sort of respect outside of hard rock circles. Did you find getting any early comparisons to them? Because you were a three piece. Have you always been a three piece? 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, no one really, no one really compares us to Motorhead. Um, we usually get compared to Rush because we're from Canada. <laughs> there's, there's no moving pictures in the the Danko discography. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, I think we're more attuned to Motorhead than Rush, yeah. but but I get it. Um, and I think again, coming from Canada, Rush, uh, you know, are kind of like the way Motorhead is for you guys. Yeah. Like they're just so Cute. woven into the fabric of of where we're from and the generation that we're from that. You know, when people see a three-piece, they go, oh, it's Rush or Triumph or something. But not Motorhead because Motorhead, again, was a band that was on the fringe. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I think yeah. they're more, not mainstream, but more no. in your face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was touring with them a different experience to like other bands you've toured with? Yes. Yeah, I can honestly say yes. Um, there was more camaraderie between the band and the crew and the crew and the and us. Um, and... I don't know how it is with other bands, but for us, we really got along well with the crew. Um, no, we've and, heard a, a lot about the crew, especially if you like look through the early albums. The Fanks are you see the same names popping up again because they they kept them like some of them for decades. <laughs> yeah, well. and I met I met uh, I was able to meet um, one or two of those old school Motorhead Road Crew guys. Yeah. One of in, in, in particular, but. Uh, even the ones that you know came after, the, they're really nice. Everybody, it was a good vibe. Basically, yeah. there was. We've been on situations where, like you know, you get on the tour and the main headlining band. There's just you know factions within the the camp that make it a little cold, um, which is their deal. It's not ours. But it. But overall, like. In, in the Motorhead camp, it was very welcoming and, and warm. And that's something that we all noted. Now, I think we saw, we have we have a bit of a story about the first time we came to oh, see you the guys. curse of Danko Jones. Yeah. Every time we tried to see Danko Jones, something went wrong. Oh, well, so that happens. I think it was, it was actually the Motorhead. So I think it was, it was about 10 years ago because you supported the, it was either the Apollo or... It was the Apollo... The Apollo and your brother made us go to some pub in the centre. No, no, not, not not some pub, Danko. The the temple, the temple is an underground pub in in Manchester. It can only hold about five, ten people because it used to be like an underground toilet. It's been converted into a pub. It's the only pub I know that you can get Nick Cave and Tom Waits on the jukebox. It's a great pub. We go there before every gig, and we're sitting there in the temple. Me, my my brother, and. I say, hey, you know, are we going to be able to make it to the venue in time to see Danko Jones? Because I've, this, this is a guy I really want to see. You know, I've never heard much of you before this point in mind. So I'm like, are we, are we going to get there in time? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I've been gigging since I was 16. He's older than us. So I was like, I know what I'm doing. We didn't get there in time. We got there in time to see the last chord of the last song of yours. Uh, well, that's how it goes. And mm. it's something I bring up every time there's a Danko Jones tour. I send him the post to say, you owe me a ticket to this. Oh, and, yeah. And then we, we tried to see him, you individually as well. But like, the, the train was cancelled and then the bus was cancelled. It wasn't uh, until was... last year. Was it last year? It was last I think time it was a few Manchester. years ago. I think we've seen... Uh, yeah, we played in Manchester. Sound City something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Sound City was, was um, dead. It was like under the railway bridge. But you yeah. had to go like, upstairs yeah. to get to it. I think yeah. the Amaret supporters, they're cool show, though. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, that. So it's been a hard track for us to get to see you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the second time, so... Well, I we mean, are. yeah. Yeah. No, I was... 
Glad you saw us. <laughs> <laughs> so are we. But in terms of like, you know, touring, um, this is something we were talking about before in the car, me and Matt. There's something on the, the your Wikipedia that says that you wanted, you never recorded in the early days because you wanted the word of mouth just to be, oh, come see the live band, come see the live band. Yeah, yeah. But then you... Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but then you go on a, like a tour and you realize like... If we had something to sell, we could you, you could have gas money and, <laughs> and hotel money, so that it you know the reality of it came crashing down. But where our heads were at, our hearts were at, I, I still have that in my in yeah. I, I if you were to really ask me, really, what I want is to like, I w- you know I wish we could have just been this word of mouth band that you have to see live. That's like, it's a cool concept. Yeah. It's wishful thinking, but it'll never happen. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the wish. Um, Do you try and keep that alive with songs like the mountain where will you ever record those in the studio? We recorded it on a live album. Yeah. And, um, but we're never going to record it. Yeah. Like a, like in a studio. I think Um, it's nice that cause it, it just keeps that. So we don't we we've given it a rest we haven't played it in a while you can play on this tonight no oh yeah we're not gonna do it because uh we played it every show for like 15 yeah. years yeah, it's like motorhead playing ace of spades every yeah sick of playing but, it <laughs> but it's it's not that we were sick of it it's just um so the want to do something new it's just sort of move it, on. well the impact it just wasn't there like it it wasn't as impactful as it used to be um either people had seen it maybe they'd seen it a few times and and do we need to rest the live show on just this one song so so also that was it as well um you know when the idea was was brought up to take it out i was all for it i was yeah we're not one song so so we took it out and it's fine no one's actually even said anything so that's actually made me happy about it um yeah it's it was also a thing where where do we put it like do we put it at the end of the set or do we put it at the end of the encore because you, we put it at the end of the set and then we come back on it's like well actually that was it what, what are we gonna do now so we've taken it out i say yeah i respect that move it's yeah. it is one of my favorite songs like but still you don't want to get barred down to playing it every night. You're not yeah. feeling it. If you're not feeling it, then we're not going to feel it. Yeah, yeah. And then it got to be a thing of like this roll call of all these dead musicians at the end was, it just kind of was like, oh. You have to like reel the list off and then add someone else. And that song, by well, that song was written on the stage. Like it just came out of improvisation night after night, just chipping away here and there. Originally, that thing was like two minutes and then just it just went on and I think one night I just went on and on and on and it was great and then I Mm -hmm. remembered what I did but because it was born out of improvisation once we had the whole model of it repeating it over and over again kind of got I don't know it just sucked the life out of it yeah well we got to wrap this up you're you're busy man um it's hard to say but I from touring with Motorhead from knowing Lemmy a bit would you say there's one thing that you learned from him that you'd like to pass on to other people? Was it about music, about life? Or was he just like a cool guy that you're glad you got to meet? It's interesting because Lemmy was such a, he was a really big presence. Um, 
on stage, but off stage as well. So when you meet him off stage, <laughs> you kind of do a physical, whoa. <laughs> you, you, even like on the tour, like every day when he would walk by, you're just like, wow, holy shit. And even like, I remember one time we were in catering and it just so happened that the showers were kind of attached to where the catering was. So we were eating and then Lemmy comes out with like a towel on his head, but he's like still decked out in black, like black shirt, black jeans, as if he didn't even take a shower. He just, it was crazy. But he just comes out and just, wow. You just, wow. The first time we played with Motorhead was in 02 in Dublin. Now it takes a while to jog my memory, but I remember the first, and then he came into the catering with all these other bands. There's all these other bands playing at the on the bill. <laughs> Our drummer at the time, Damon, he started clapping, <laughs> and the whole room just started clapping, erupted into like applause. Just, just one of the other guys in the band walks into the room, and the rest of the bands on the bill start clapping. Like he did it. He he just did it. But nobody questioned it. And we were laughing because we knew he started it. But Lemmy was just like, you know, almost like a king. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, this is correct. You are correct. <laughs> Reacting this way. But um, anything that, I mean, I've got, I've got a few stories about Lemmy. Um, so they're great. Um, but uh, he was always very uh, kind to us. Really. Yeah. That was the first thing I said when I heard he passed away. And it's true. Uh, he was very kind to, to, to us. Like, um, yeah, he didn't have to be. Like, he really didn't. When I jog my memory, like, we did do one tour, but we played a whole bunch of shows with him as well. And there's always something that you walk away from um, with a story. And Lemmy was that kind of person that, he was so, his, his charisma and his pr presence was so large that even if he nods at someone, that person has a Lemmy story. You know what I mean? So doing a whole tour of them, <laughs> I've got a few. So, some of them are, are pretty funny. Uh, some I can't tell on the mic. <laughs> um, uh, but I do, I, I put out a book. I don't mean to plug anything, but Fuck I put away. out a book in, in this uh, past summer in, in June and in it, there's a four-page comic book story that Gary Dumb from American Splendor illustrated about the time that uh, I sang Born to Raise Hell with Motorhead. Yes. And um, it was one of the most like nerve-wracking experiences <laughs> I've ever had because he wanted to know if I knew the song. Like, I knew the chorus. Yeah. Like, I... Like... Everyone knows the chorus takes space, but can you sing like verse, you take verse two? Through the verse, yeah. So he wanted me to sing it. And so I, I said, uh, I think it was Phil. Phil Campbell asked me to sing. And he goes, do you know the song? Lem wants you to know. I go, yeah, I fucking know the song. I was like, holy shit, I don't know the lyrics at all. So I, I went into like a, a stairwell and I had an iPod at the time. I had the album and I just uh, listened to it for like, I don't even know how many hours, um, a few hours, a couple hours. And then I realized if I, I, I could, I could listen to more takes if I just chop off the, the first 15 seconds <laughs> and chop off the end so I could just get the nub of the song that I need. Yeah, yeah. And then they brought me into Lemmy's dressing room and like Lemmy was sitting, actually he was literally sitting here and there was a chair there 
And then he would always have this kind of, uh, what do you call this slot machine? Fruity. Yeah. yeah. He would always have that near him. And he had the album on an iPod and he played it and I was sitting there and he was sitting here and I sang it in front of him. Oh, you had to perform for the king. <laughs> it was, it was like the most nerve wracking thing ever. And he's like mouthing along with me while I'm like, like kind of whisper singing, like, you know, I'm doing that. Wow. <laughs> like, and I got to sing it that night. And I think there's a version on YouTube and I think I've read some of the comments in the past where it's like, you're totally, he's out of, out of tune. He's out of tune. He can't even stay in oh, tune. YouTube comments. Oh, and, I'm, and, and first of all, it was so loud on a motorhead stage. You can't hear your, yourself sing. So I didn't know the key. I couldn't hear the key. I just knew from the guitar when I'm supposed to sing the chorus. You can't hear anything. And if you're not in a band performing, you don't understand what that means. Mm -hmm. You need monitors to sing. You need to hear yourself sing. So Motorhead was the loudest stage I've ever stood on. And you, you had no monitors. As a guest vocalist, there was no monitors. Lem had his, but you, you had none for yourself. So I could not hear myself unless I did like one of these. And even if I did that, it's just, it's like an airplane. So of course I'm out of tune because I can't hear myself, but I sang it. And I, and the reason why I sang it out of tune on stage was because I nailed it in his dressing room <laughs> earlier that night. So fuck those people. Fuck the internet. That's a great way to end this. We're going to put this up on the internet. Um, the last album out, uh, Wildcats. Great album. Thanks. Uh, obviously still available. People want to get, you know, Bad Taste Records is the best way to go through getting it, yeah? Uh, AFM Records. AFM. And then we have a, I can't say the name of the new record. We just mastered it, mixed it, mastered it with Garth Richardson producing Cool. Uh, a few weeks ago. So we're fresh out, off of that recording. That's coming out in 2019, and that's going to be on a UK label. Hey, which just happens to be my favorite label, which is Rise Above Records. So. All right, nice. So it's, and AFM on on the mainland, but yeah, it's uh, but uh, it's going to be great. To I, be I look forward to it. Man. I I know this is a Motorhead podcast, but we are both Danko Jones fans. Oh, great! We enjoy, when we were in a band, the the one thing that we could all agree on was Danko Jones on the way to the gig to get us pumped up. Oh, we wow, that's, that's is, great is the, to hear. the musicians oh. going to the gig. Oh, thanks, man. That's nice to and hear. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, we'll, it's we'll been great. I mean, I, I could talk about Motorhead till the cows come home because the, the, um, they were so, like I said, they were so nice to us and and um, so many stories. All three guys are are, are larger than life. Like yeah. Phil and, and, and Mickey and, and, and Lemmy were all very kind to us and the, and all the crew and everything that we walked away with a re, like a, a, a our, our 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 faith in rock hadn't had had only increased just being around them and a good role model as to how to treat openers when mm-hmm. when we would go out yeah. on tour so they were they were good for in that sense as well so yeah i mean yeah i i can go on <laughs> I got a few other ones, but yeah. But you're a busy time. man, and we don't want to waste your time. <laughs> I'd love to tell him, but yeah, later. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Thank you.